We are here to help one another. So please determine to live your life in this book. Another way in which grace would be to us, in which we would appreciate the grace of the gospel, is through prayer. This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to part two of Embracing the Grace of God from Pastor Paul Twiss. Pastor's text is from the Apostle Paul's New Testament epistle to the Ephesians, chapter one. Unlike other letters he wrote to churches, the Ephesians were seen as a strong church. Thus, the first half of the letter is devoted to reminding them of the grace and blessings that have been lavished upon them by their Father God. This largely Gentile congregation had been saved out of paganism, the dark cult of Artemis. But now they're called saints by the apostle in verse two. Imagine their transformation from darkness to a path of great light in Christ. Here's part two of Embracing the Grace of God. To appreciate the grace of God, you have got to know who you are as a Christian. In order to live a steadfast life that honors the Lord, you have got to know who you are. You have to know the truth of the gospel as it relates to your life. If you don't, you will not walk out a path of obedience. If you forget who you are in Christ, you will start to behave like you are not in Christ. The implication is we are very fickle. We forget these things so readily. We have new hearts, but the flesh remains. And there are times when the flesh is so strong. I have, I have known myself in church to be singing wonderful songs about the grace of God and what is true of me in the gospel. And my heart is attuned to that grace in the moment of singing. And I have known minutes later to be fighting in my own strength, completely oblivious to the fact that I'm saved by grace. That's how quickly your heart turns away from these doctrines. Oftentimes, when I counsel and you dig into the issue, why are we here? What's the problem? And and you get beyond the realities of life and get down into the theology that your heart is espousing to cause these issues, often it is that the the counselee is believing an untruth about who they are in Christ. When you really get down to it, somewhere along the way, they've picked up something that isn't true about themselves. And they are failing to assert that which is true about themselves. And the counseling session from then on simply follows an articulation of the gospel and a training of our hearts to believe and to hold fast to the grace of God. You have got to know who you are in Christ. How do you do it? 
by way of implication now from this text, it is not that Paul is saying this. This is best practice. Number one, you have got to live your life in this book. How do you remind your fickle heart of who you are in the gospel? You've got to live your life in this book. To some measure, your life has to be oriented around the Word of God because it is there that the truth of the grace and peace that comes from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ is articulated. It is not primarily articulated in a commentary or a Christian book or a journal article or in a blog post. Not primarily there. God has given us His Word and that's where we find out who we are in Christ. Now, just like the word membership, you won't find the words quiet time in the Bible. And I don't mind what you call it, but it is wise to be in this book daily. To daily open this book and to refresh your heart to the truth of who you are before a holy God, covered by the blood of Christ, made right with him. Notice... At the very end of the letter, Paul finishes by saying, verse 24, grace be with all of you. In verse 2 of chapter 1, he says, grace to you. It's my desire. I want grace to be to you. He finishes the letter by saying, grace be with you. And Paul does this in a number of his letters. And more than a few people have noted that that slight inflection, it is a repetition of thought with a slight inflection. I open the letter by saying, grace to you, this is what I want. And then he closes and saying, now grace be with you. It seems to suggest that Paul himself understood that by virtue of the simple reading of this letter, there would be a manifestation of God's grace to his people. By the simple reading of this letter, God's grace would be imparted to them. Paul understood the word of God to be a necessary means by which the grace of the gospel would be to you. Now, as I say this, I know that there are possibly several, many Christians who come to church here every Sunday and who do not open the word of God from one Sunday to the next. That the last time you opened God's word was last Sunday. I am keenly aware, as we come together every Sunday, that this could be the first time you've looked at your Bible since last Sunday. If that is you, please, let me encourage you to be transparent with someone this evening. Speak to me, speak to an elder, speak to a friend. Just say, my life is not where it ought to be as it relates to this book. I see it. I understand it. I understand that I should be in this and it's for my good, but I'm not there. A small amount of accountability goes an awfully long way. We are here to help one another. So please determine to live your life in this book. Another way in which grace would be to us, in which we would appreciate the grace of the gospel, is through prayer. This is the other side of the coin, Bible reading and prayer. Now, as you spend time with me in the years ahead, you'll come to learn that I don't even like to call it prayer, but I prefer the term communion 
communion with God. And I, I like that term because all too often, as we say prayer, we tend to think of simply asking God for things. There's nothing wrong with asking God for things. God delights to have his children come to him and to express their dependence on him. God delights in you doing that. But asking for things from God is but one room in the mansion that is prayer. It is one room. We are to spend some time there, but we are to be very at home everywhere in that mansion, which would include praising him, which would include repenting of our sins before him, which would include rehearsing gospel truths to our Father in heaven. This is why I say, pray the Bible. I don't trust myself in my prayer time. Without this word to guide me, I know my prayers become very self-centered. When I open up God's word and I simply pray the thing that I read, now I know my prayers are biblical. They are running along the truth. And what do those prayers sound like? Simply an articulation of who I am before him. Father, I praise you this morning that I am a son of the living God. I praise you this morning that you have washed my sins away. Father, I praise you that there is nothing that can separate me from the love of Christ. And on and on it goes. Prayer is mean, supposed to be one of the means by which we are edified by which we are reminded of God's grace in our lives. And I say that knowing that for many, your prayer life could be summed up as simply giving thanks before you eat. If that is your prayer life, please be transparent with somebody this evening. Ask for some accountability. Set achievable goals. Set aside a time in your day where you are resolved to merely commune with God. I read just recently one of many biographies on Eric Little. Laura had recommended it. She didn't tell me that I'd be crying like a baby in an airport somewhere as I finished the book. One of the things I marked down in that book is Eric Liddell's teaching when he said, mark an hour a day for prayer. He said, first of all, mark an hour a day for prayer. Second, keep it. He then said, there are many who will say they can pray at any time of the day, and most likely they will not pray at all. Let me encourage you along the spiritual discipline of setting aside a time in your day when you are committed to meet with the Lord. And to commune with him. Because it is one of the primary means by which we are reminded of who we are in Christ. A third way in which grace would be to us. All I'm doing right now is thinking through the appreciating. Paul writes this verse that we would appreciate and appropriate. The grace and peace that is ours in the gospel. The practical means by which we appreciate that grace is through the Bible and through prayer and finally through fellowship. Through fellowship. Now I want to be very specific here. We sometimes mislabel time with other Christians as fellowship. It isn't necessarily. 
after this evening service, you can come and speak to me about sports, and that would be fine, and we could have a long conversation about the sport of your choosing. I'm not going to count it as fellowship. I have no issue with that conversation, none at all. But it's not fellowship because I could have the same conversation with an unbeliever. There was nothing in our conversation that was a distinguishing mark of our faith. So it's not fellowship. Fellowship is when Christians enjoy the gospel together. When you enjoy the gospel together, now you're having fellowship. And fellowship is one of the means that God has ordained by which we are reminded of who we are. Tell me how you were saved. Share with me your testimony of faith. And as you do so, we are both reminded of the truth of the gospel. I'm reminded that your sins are forgiven and so are mine. I'll share with you how I was saved. And as I do so, we are reminded of eternal truths in Christ Jesus that belong to us. Tell me what book you're reading. I'll ask you that question if you hang out with me long enough. It's one of my favorite. Because it is a guaranteed way to get onto spiritual things. And as we do, and we rejoice in the truth of the gospel, we are enjoying the gospel together, having fellowship, and being reminded of the grace that we have received in Christ. So, preaching to the choir, you're here on a Sunday evening. Praise the Lord. Race towards any expression of fellowship that you can find. Sunday morning and Sunday evening, absolutely. As we move into our week, seek out expressions of fellowship. There are many that happen in this church regularly. There are home groups. There are Bible studies. There are lots of different ways in which we come together through the week, and I want to encourage you to seek them out. And they don't need to be formalized. Open up your home. Have people in for dinner and determine to have a spiritual conversation because you will be reminded of the grace that is yours in Christ Jesus. Fellowship is one way that God uses that. So that is what it means to appreciate the grace and peace of God in our lives. To practice these spiritual disciplines regularly so as to train our heart in right thinking that we would be grateful. As a marker in our life, we would be grateful for the truth of the gospel as it has come to us. Now what about that second half? Appropriating it. Exercising it. Giving it feet with which to run in our lives. What does it mean to appropriate? Very simply, it means to obey the commands of Scripture. To obey the imperatives that are binding on us as Christians. That second half of the book of Ephesians. But I want to be very, very careful as I say that. To appropriate the grace of God means that we are found faithful, obedient to the commands of Scripture. But we need to be so careful. Here's why. Because people tend to do one of two things when they're presented with a command in the Bible. Christians will go one of two ways. Some Christians will be presented with an obligation, a responsibility from Scripture, and they will diminish its importance in their lives. They will demote it, they will devalue it, they will place it far, far, far down on their to-do list, on their priority list. 
Those Christians love to bask in the reality of God's love for them. They love to champion the grace of God in the gospel. And they'll say such things as, my sins are covered. God is doing his work in my life. He will see me to glory. I don't need to worry that much about obedience. We call that antinomianism. You have no place for the law in your life. Other Christians will be presented with a command and they will elevate it. They will raise it up so high and they will chase it so hard that they lose any sight of God's grace in their life. They strive towards obedience, but it is apart from any understanding of the grace that God has given them as the very means by which they are to obey. They create a burden for their back so heavy it crushes them. Outwardly, it may appear that everything is together and they're leading a very obedient life. But it is an obedience that does not honor the Lord. We call that legalism. And by and large, all of us will fall into one of those two groups. Some of us are antinomious by nature. Some of us are legalists, and both of them are not the means by which we appropriate the grace of the gospel. So, how do we appropriate the grace of the gospel? We find that middle ground, which is not to say, wherever you land, you take a healthy dose of the other. That's a misstep that's often committed in counseling. I have before me a stereotypical legalist, classic So he just needs a healthy dose of antinomianism. Wrong. (laughs) They're both the same error. They're both derived from the same point. They just went in different directions. So you don't counter it with the other tendency. You counter both with a healthy dose of God's grace. That's the middle ground. You bask in God's grace. And having done so with the fuel of God's grace, you then obey. Every act of obedience in your life should be a response. You're not obeying to please God. He loves you in Christ. You have his favor. You're not obeying to win it, but nor do you diminish it. It's there. It's binding. He saved you by sending his son to die. He now wants you to respond. There are binding commandments on the Christian life, responsibilities. And as we seek to obey them, we do so as a right response to the salvation that we have received. Now can you see why it is wise counsel to be in this book and in prayer and in fellowship on and on and on every day in your life. I have got to renew my heart to the truth of the gospel if I am to obey the commands of Scripture in a way that honors God. If my heart is not alive to the gospel, I will create a rod for my back that crushes me each and every day. I can't afford to not be in this book. I can't afford to not seek the Lord in communion. I can't afford to live my life as a Lone Ranger Christian. I've got to be with the saints because I need to refresh my heart to the truth of the gospel. Then I can obey. 
And notice, when your heart is full to bursting of God's grace, oh, how his imperatives are found to be light. Oh, how his imperatives are found to be light. A joy, a delight to obey. There is nothing that God could ask of me that is too much when my heart is full of grace. When my heart has the gospel in full view, ask anything of me. Take anything of me. All I want to do is obey in gratitude to the grace and peace that I have received through Christ. That is what it means to appropriate this grace. Now we begin Paul's exposition next week of who we are in Christ. And it goes on and on. It is wonderful. We will spend some time here. It's going to be some time before we get to chapter 4 of the letter. The challenge for us is to keep both in view. That over the next few months and weeks, our hearts would be soft and ready to appreciate the grace of the gospel. And at the same time, we would keep in view our responsibility as Christians and we would appropriate that grace. When that is true of us, then God's word will be having its intended effect in our lives. May grace be to us and peace that comes from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we praise you for the grace and the peace that comes from the gospel. You have saved us and given us this grace and this peace, and we are thankful. As we have considered this one verse this evening, would you help us to both appreciate and to appropriate these realities? Father, may we be those who know this grace, who know who we are, in Christ. May our hearts be attuned to the truths of the gospel. May we do it through the means that you have given us, your word and communion with you and fellowship. May we be found faithful to be pursuing these disciplines. And may we be so thankful for the grace and the peace that is ours in Christ. Lord, help us to obey. Help us to obey the imperatives that do rest on our shoulders. You want obedience from us. Having saved us, you want obedience from us. May we be found faithful, obedient to the commands of Scripture, not in our own strength, not belittling them and not pursuing them in our own strength, but only ever responding to the requirements of Scripture as a right response of gratitude to the gospel. May our hearts be full, and in that strength, may we obey. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to Timeless Truth Today. Pastor Paul began today's message much like the apostle did in his Ephesians letter. You have to know the truth of the gospel as it relates to your life. If you forget who you are in Christ, you start to behave like you are not in Christ. We are challenged to remember 
We've been adopted by Creator God, awaiting our glorification. If you'd like to learn more about what this ministry has to offer you, both in teaching and in encouragement for your walk with Jesus, come to TimelessTruthToday.org. TimelessTruthToday.org. Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Twist, a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. If you're not part of a local church, this Sunday, come worship with us. Every Sunday, 10.30 a.m. and in the evening at 6 p.m., the church is located at 200 West Bethany Court in Thousand Oaks. Hope you have a great weekend, and come Monday, I hope you'll join us once again as we start a new series, When in Athens, from Pastor Paul Twist. I'm Matt Williams. Thank you for listening to Timeless Truth Today.